Hopefully, perhaps, our kids' programming will return next week. Who knows? Yeah, well, maybe. Continue to join us online through our Facebook group. That's going really well. Appreciate that. One of the big things we'd like to do with that is get you to share some of the things that we post. So some of the things that we post are found at our Facebook main page. That's where you can share stuff from. In groups, you can't share because there's only comment buttons. But if you go and it says, hey, you really like this one, it's over there on the Facebook page and you can share it because part of Facebook isn't just being voyeurs and looking at everybody's stuff. It's about changing culture. So we need to continue to post things that are positive and we change culture as well. So if you don't like the things you see on Facebook, you're the person to make the difference and to change it because you can fill up the feed with stuff that you want to see just like I do. You're tired of seeing all my pictures of stuff out west? Too bad. It's good stuff. It's fun stuff. And it helps get rid of all the other stuff in my feed. So I appreciate you making that positive difference in your life too with us. So as we continue the second half of Ephesians, we're focusing on the how, and now we really are gearing up literally for life with the armor of God and putting that gear on. This is really the gear in gearing up for life. This is what the whole thing has been about to get to chapter 6, this last here. So what are these tools and how do we employ them in our everyday life? That's what we're going to talk about today in Armored. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, may the words that I say that you've given to me, may they speak to us about this armor, about how we can be able to know your presence in powerful ways and wear this out into the world so people around us can see, and yet we're also protected by you. That You are indeed fighting our battles, and what does that mean? And How do we stay out of the battle so we don't cause more damage and hurt? So, Lord, just pour your Holy Spirit into our time together today and may these words speak to our hearts in the way we need to hear them the most. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and everybody said both here and at home, amen. Somebody's uh, owling, howling. Is that me? You version, follow along. All the notes are in there as we gather together today. So for some of you, this text might be very familiar. And the depiction of the armor of God from the sixth chapter of Ephesians. For others, maybe you've never heard about it. And for those of you who have heard it, it never hurts to have a good refresher on being armored for God. You see, Paul is calling us as Christians here to be active in our faith. He begins in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God so you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, Paul prays that the readers may be strengthened with God's power as he's said previously in Ephesians 3.16, but also recognizes the power at work within us in Ephesians 3.20. But now, in Ephesians 6, he extends this idea that suggests the community itself has action. Has action to take up God's power, at least partially through its own initiative. See, this letter then was written for the Ephesians for whom their allegiance to Christ 
set them apart at conspicuous odds with the allegiance of others in their families and in their city who worship the emperor as the son of God. That's who the son of God was to most people in the city, not Jesus. And so that's why he says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, the Romans, others, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Roman people, the people of Ephesus are not their enemies. The government, the others... And so for the Ephesians, what he's saying is no matter what hostility is displayed by their fellow friends and their family, they were to understand that hostility towards them as coming from a larger, darker, spiritual force. And that such forces cannot be fought by the believers themselves. You can't fight the spiritual battle of those heavenly forces, but rather to be resisted. That the spiritual hosts of wickedness guide and manipulate the world leaders of this present age is what he's saying. But the battle is not with other people. That's something we all need to remember. Every person disagrees with us is not our enemy. Don't be quick to put on the armor of God to defend against other people simply because they don't agree with you. That's not what he's saying. See, faithfulness to God places one in the midst of the battle, that's for sure. But one is unable to fight aggressively on earth. Because this battle is so much bigger than that. Have you ever wondered why you can't ever seem to make a dent? Because it isn't the battle for us. That's God's battle. But instead, we are to be armored. But maybe we need to rethink the metaphor of armor that's used here since we don't walk around wearing armor in our day and age. And there aren't many professions in the 21st century world that require armor except to protect our law enforcement, for instance, with body armor or our military from harm. And of course, we have our frontline medical folks too who are having to armor up for 12 hours or more every day. And we've all, though, learned what it's like to wear protective gear of all sorts that the pandemic brought into play in a powerful way. So maybe instead of the helmet of salvation, maybe it's the face mask that more aptly brings us that sense of peace and protection. Maybe being armored sounds as though we're trying to do battle instead of trying to live our lives in a way that reflects our faith and the love that God has placed within us. But if we look closer to this passage into what we're being asked to put on, do you notice something? All the things in this passage are defensive, except for one. Everything that's offered here is defensive, designed to protect the wearer and the faith that we live. The only offensive weapon is not our own. It's the Word of God. 
So we can see this as security we need to continue to live our faith in a complicated and sometimes threatening world that we are not alone. That not left to our own strength and our own wisdom. But we can call upon the wisdom and the strength of God as it's expressed and lived out in the community of faith together. This is a call to be united and to look after one another as we journey together. So to go back to verse 10 again, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God. The armor of God the church takes up relates to the message that Paul has already laid out the whole time. In Ephesians 1 through 3, remember the first part, living, gearing up for life? That's the life part. And now we're preparing for a spiritual battle in which believers engage through their actions. And that's where he starts. Verse 14. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Fasten your belt. Just do something to keep you going to calisthenics. Fasten your belt. So a belt, the first thing that Paul says is you need a belt. Say belt. Belt. Yes, you two at home. Put your belt on. You need a belt of truth. Now, a belt is not just for keeping your pants up, as important as that is. And believe me, it is important to have a belt to keep your pants up. That's a very important thing in life. But in that day and time, the belt was also used by those going into battle to tie up all the loose bits of clothing they had so that your enemy couldn't just grab one of those and then get you and be able to kill you by grabbing that least expected piece of your clothing. With a belt, you avoided that happening and being caught by them pulling your tunic over the top of your head or something. So you fasten around your waist the belt of truth. Paul says the truth can keep us from being caught out by the loose ends of our lives. See, as Abraham Lincoln supposedly said, like everything else on the Internet, no one has a good enough memory to be a really effective liar. We're going to be caught trying to lie eventually because we can't make up lies that last for very long. It just doesn't work. And honestly, then we're belted in truth having made a decision to live honestly and openly in the truth of Christ, we won't get caught with our pants down, literally. So by girding ourselves with the belt of truth, put your belt of truth back on. Belt of truth, right? By putting your belt of truth on, prepare ourselves for the work to which we've already been called. And what is that truth we're supposed to do? We are supposed to speak the truth in what? Love. That's the work. That's the truth. He's already told us that in Ephesians 4. We are to speak the truth in love to one another. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the next thing is, Paul says, you're going to need a breastplate. Let's do this. Breastplate. So then it goes right here. Protects all the vital organs. That's hardly something we see in our chests nowadays, except those in harm's way once again. You need something to protect all those vital organs when going into battle so we don't get hit in the gut 
so you don't suffer from a wounded heart even. We need a chest protector to strap on to keep our heart in one place. You see, righteousness has been said is being faithful in our relationships. Righteousness is being faithful in our relationships. Right relationship between God and also with each other. So God is righteous because God always keeps faith with us. It's always a right relationship because God always keeps God's part of the covenant even when we fail. And the breastplate of righteousness refers then and relates to the new self which we're supposed to clothe ourselves in when we come to Christ, that new breastplate, that new way of being and thinking and doing as beings that are created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because Paul's also just said that to us in Ephesians 4. So we try to be like God. We try to be righteous and keep faithful in all of our relationships. First, our relationships with God, of course, as we try to live in response to the grace we have received, but also then in relationship with each other. Both are important. We work to keep faith between husbands and wives, parents and children, teachers and students, neighbors, brothers and sisters, and everyone. We wear our righteousness like a chest protector so we avoid that sinking gut a sinking feeling in our gut when we've broken faith with a loved one so that we avoid receiving a broken heart because we're speaking truth and we're being righteous. That's what the breastplate of righteousness is. And then, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. See, Paul has earlier explained what the gospel of peace is for which we should ready ourselves by putting on shoes. You see, in reconciling Jews and Gentiles into one body, he says Christ is our what? Peace. In Ephesians 2, Christ is our peace. We find our peace in Christ. And the removal of hostility through Jesus' death on the cross is central to the heart of Paul's understanding of the gospel message. It's the message of reconciliation that should lead the church to behave and act like what the rest of Ephesians 4-6 through 6 has told us over the last couple of weeks. If you remember anything out of this whole series, lay your head on Ephesians 4-6 through 6 and just live that out. That will be enough. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Bearing each other's burdens. If the church can't do that, then there's no reason to be the church. Because the world certainly can't do it. And if we can't do any better than the world, we might as well join them. There's no reason to be any different. So you got to have shoes. Say shoes. you got to have shoes. you got to have the right kind of shoes, right? And these shoes, they let us move. To be on our feet, he says, to be the readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace. These shoes are made for walking. 
That's just what they'll do. One of these days, what? These shoes are going to walk out on you, all right? All of my 60s folks. So not for sitting back, putting our feet up in our homes and saying, oh, well, if anyone wants to, to know what they come, they can come ask me. They can really look around. And if I'm not too busy, I just might tell them what I know about faith and church and Christ. That's not our job. Wait till they come to us. Church is really good about that, too, as a whole, because we just wait people to come to our doors. Well, they'll come. And if they come, we're going to be really nice to them and help them and be welcoming to them. When they're driving by and their life is a shambles, well, you know, that's their own deal. I don't need to reach out beyond just this little part right here. We're good about doing that as Christians. I got mine, go find yours. See, these shoes, though, are for going where the action is. The shoes that are they're about that are shoes of peace. The Roman shoes were ready for battle. These are the shoes in best Nike fashion to just what? Do it. Just do it. We can apply that so much in our lives, everywhere we see it, in sports, everywhere else. Why can't we apply that in our lives to Christ? To just do it. To just live out being a Christian in every moment, in every way, in every day into the lives of others. So on your feet, the readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace, you need shoes of peace. Say shoes of peace. Alright. You got your shoes, right? Now with all of these, take the shield of faith. Put your shield up. Here's your shield. Take your shield. The shield of faith. It could be a Captain American shield for some of you. It could be a medieval shield for some of you. It could be a long Roman shield for some of you. It could be whatever shield it is that you imagine in your mind. Rail proclaims Paul as he admires his creation. We're not done yet. We got some of this stuff, but we need something else. In addition to these, we are exhorted, exhorted to take up the shield of faith. And according to Ephesians, faith activates the power of God. Ephesians 2.8 Salvation is God's gift. It also comes to the believer's faith. Ephesians 3. See, Paul has already lined up everything he's talking about in 6 by going back to everything from the beginning of this whole thing. He says it's through faith that Christ dwells in the believer's heart in chapter 3 as well. Taking up the shield of faith connects to the protection that faith brings. I actually bought a car this past week, which I haven't brought yet, and it's still sitting in my driveway. Um, but KJ, the salesperson, and if you're looking for a car, and there aren't a lot of cars out there, by the way, so you're going to have to really look really hard. The chip shortage, it's real. <laughs> KJ said to me, the guy who's been, who's my salesperson says, I've been doing it since 1993. And I've never, ever been concerned that any month I wouldn't have enough money to take care of myself and my family. Some months I have a lot. Some months I have enough. I said, well, KJ, that's a lot of faith. I've never done commission sales. I'm scared to death. I always want a steady paycheck to know what's coming. That's faith. 
The salvation that comes is God's gift through faith representing this ability, though. And the ability is, it talks about here, is with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. There's a, there's a great picture of it by an artist who, who has that, of flaming arrows going up against the shield. We need a shield. Say shield. A shield. We need a shield. Or if you're a lefty, a shield. The other way around. We don't really use a shield, though. Think about it. These days, unless you're in a riot. One time I ever see shields. Bad stuff. But what about an umbrella? You ever been in that sudden rainstorm? Really, really wish you would have had that umbrella that you just packed into your car or thought, well, I won't take it inside because it's not going to be bad whatsoever or went outside and out in there in the, the field somewhere at some event and you're like, I really should have brought an umbrella, you know? You wished you had something to hold over you, to go before you, to protect you from the elements, to keep you dry. Something to hold out and hold on to. Something that will remind you that it isn't always a bright sunny day when all is right with the world. Sometimes the skies do grow dark and sometimes the winds will blow and sometimes the rain's going to fall. So you need something to keep you from drowning in your own despair. So maybe take instead the umbrella of faith. Put your umbrella up. See, I didn't even bring, I didn't even bring an umbrella because I'm that... You know, still superstitious about opening the umbrella inside? Where did that start anyways? So the umbrella of faith, you hold on tight to it and that wind comes and you're really fighting it and you're keeping it and you're like, I'm so glad this is the thing that I have and that cold rain comes down like in December especially. You're like, that's when you need an umbrella. Well, one author says it this way, when the weather gets rough, when the questions fall like rain, when the tears form puddles at your feet, when the clouds of doubt rumble overhead, then hold tight to your faith. Hold on to that knowledge that you are a child of God, to that experience of being pulled up from off your knees by the hand of one much stronger than you, to that feeling of being clean again and given a fresh start. Hold on to that. And though the rain may fall and you may get wet along the way, the center is dry and strong and still remembers that the sun still shines behind the clouds. Carry your faith as a shield. Say shield. Shield. Then take the helmet of salvation. The crowning glory. Accept salvation as a helmet. Wear your salvation on top of everything else. Wear it right up there where everyone can see it. Salvation like faith is not a golden ticket that you stand ready to be scanned at on that final flight to heaven you're bound on. Or a memento wistfully thinking, oh, I just need that someday. No, it's something you wear every single day. Something that shapes your vision, guides your feet, broadens your understanding. When we were kids and our parents would tell, we'd go out to ride our bikes, our parents would always tell us to do what? Put on your helmet. Put on your helmet. And you know, when I was growing up, nobody cared, but you know fall off the bike, kid, and I'm taking you to the hospital and put your brain back in your head. 
But most people, you know, like when Hannah was growing up, it was put on your helmet, have some fancy pads probably to go with it and all that kind of stuff too. When you fell off the bike back when I was, they just pulled the gravel out of your arm and picked you back up. Put on your helmet. Now, ride a motorcycle, ah, that's something different. You know, I hope people, are, you know, when you're riding your motorcycle, you're wearing a helmet. I don't care how free you think you have, how much freedom you think you really should have and everything like that. When, you're, when your head's splattered against the pavement, nobody's going to care about going to the hospital whether you had your freedom of not wearing a helmet or not. I was in a motorcycle accident when I was a kid when my dad was driving and our motorcycle, our little Honda 90, went across the railroad tracks the wrong way and got stuck right there and flipped it. Threw me off. We were in our helmets. Chipped my dad's tooth for the rest of his life and scared me and he picked me up and carried me bloodied up to our neighbor's house. We hadn't had those helmets on though. Not telling what would have happened. Even just going like 10 miles an hour. Helmets, right? Accept the salvation as a helmet. It's an assurance that protects you from all sorts of blows that might otherwise knock you senseless. And then there's the sword of the Spirit. Hold your sword up. Here's your sword. Put your sword up. There's your sword. Sword, 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 sword. You at home? That's a good sword. I like it. Once again, Excalibur, Roman short sword, I don't, whatever it is you know, that, that fits the bill for you. Sword. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A sword. Say sword. A sword? Well, yes. You know, here once again, not just any old sword, which you can go and hack away at the undergrowth of our society. This sword has a specific function. And it's a function that we don't ultimately control. It's not our sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you see. Perhaps we should be carrying a pen instead of a sword. You know that the pen is mightier than the what? There's a reason why there's a saying like that. Or a phone with unlimited texting, let's say, nowadays. The sword is about words and how we use them. See, this sword is not about taking life away, but about giving life meaning. It's about communicating God's Word. It is God who wields the power here in the sword, not us. You know, masters of the universe, He-Man, I have the power! Nope, that's not it. I have the power comes from God, not from man. I see you guys dancing over there tonight. I see you. It's all back again. Everything that's old comes around again and becomes brand new. Grew up with masters of the universe, He-Man, back again. It's not our power. It is God who, whose word cuts to the quick where soul and spirit meet. See, our job is to be faithful to that word, to proclaim it with our whole lives, with our collective lives, the body of Christ, the word made flesh. This means, of course, we have to know what God's word is. It takes a lot of study, a lot of time to take up that sword, to wield the pen. Because when you write things, you can never take them back. You ever read that email you never should have sent? Text you never should have written. Scripture verse you used against someone else you never should have thought about. The sword is God's. 
but it's ours to use so that God can wield it. So you put on this whole gear. Why? Simple. To stand. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, right? So you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Say stand. See, that's a good stand. Very good, J.R. Baker. To stand. That's what this is all about. To stand. To be able to withstand. The armor is designed to help folks stand fast. Defensive. Standing fast is not an offensive thing. This is not about taking your sword and your shield and destroying everybody who's not a Christian around you, people you disagree with, and taking them all out because you don't think they believe the right thing or said this right thing. That's not what it's talking about. To stand means you stand firm, means you stand in a line with this defensive armor to be able to protect you. See? To stand. It's not armor for aggressive action. It's a shaky world out there. It needs people with balance. People who are armored enough to be able to stand. Standing fast does not require a person to hurt a neighbor in any way. Paul was not asking the Ephesians to go out and challenge the Romans. To tell their friends and their family, you're a bunch of idiots, I'm going to cut you in half. To terrorize somebody because of their political party or their beliefs. It's not that thing. The armor is to empower believers to withstand the evil that surrounds and threatens them. And certainly there is evil that surrounds and threatens us all the time. And what's the final thing we need to do to stand firm? Prayer. Imagine that. The prayer be the final thing that we need to be able to stand firm. Say prayer. See, prayer is an activity that's connected to the taking up of God's armor. He makes sure that's a part of it. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. Paul also prays on behalf of the church for their strength and understanding. And the church is then told to pray for all of the saints and for the author as well. You see, the imagery of God taking up God's armor to seek justice was related to in the first century culture to the notion of the day of the Lord. Like at the end. So Paul is telling us the battle with cosmic forces is not simply a battle delayed for the future day of God's judgment, but as a present battle that the believers must engage in on a regular basis. So the struggle is, the church's struggle and our struggle as Christians is a heavenly one against spiritual powers, but it's acted out on a more mundane, ordinary level each and every day, you see. Each and every day. Go ahead, Brian, because I'm pretty sure we're behind. There we go. Stay right there. That's what it means to be armored. Not that we're going to change those things, but we're going to be armored to stand against them. But the armor of God does not mean the church will not encounter difficulties or that Christians, we as Christians won't encounter difficulties. The armor is not taking that away. There will be the flaming arrows no matter what. But we'll be able to defend against them through perseverance and prayer. And that the church may boldly proclaim the gospel 
even in the midst of persecution and hardship, that does not give us then the right or the opportunity to make sure that we're on the offensive because we feel threatened. We don't change the way that we act, ever. We don't move into the way the world does things, ever. And if we do, we need to find forgiveness and reconciliation and move back to who we are. Don't let any person or anything change who you are as a Christian, no matter what they do is what Paul is saying. And that sums up what it means to be geared up for life. Never change who you are and whose you are, no matter what you might face. Because we are the messengers. And we have been given the tools and the gear that we need to be able to fight the battle no matter what. Because we've already sung today, who is it that fights our battle anyways? God. God fights our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I am surrounded by what? You. And these tools are what Paul says will help us to fight that battle every day. So let's all be geared up for life. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
hear these words. Go out and make known the mystery of the gospel. Keep alert and pray at all times. Draw strength from God's power and so stand firm against all that the world corrupts in you. And may God arm you with truth and righteousness. May Christ Jesus give you the words of spirit and life. May the Holy Spirit draw you near to God's presence and bless you with honor and grace. We go in peace and love to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, everybody both here, everybody at home said together, Amen.